turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai. It's the second to the last book in the Old Testament. So if you like find Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, and you know, if you're you're doing one of these, just start backing up. They're short books. You'll get to Haggai pretty quickly. Hey, if you're on a phone, right, click the button that says Haggai. You'll get there wherever it is. So remember our story. We're, we're looking, we're talking about obedience, but we're specifically looking at the story of when God called the Jewish exiles back to Jerusalem and he told them to rebuild the temple because the temple is how he connects with them. If you, we won't go into all of it, but remember back when we talked about the tabernacle and you know, there being a place, how do, you get a, how do you get a good, holy, perfect God and sinful people together? And the way he did that was the tabernacle, which was a tent, which then became the temple, but it was a place where God and man could reside together. You remember Moses, he would talk to God through a curtain like you heard God's voice. You couldn't see him because you'd die, but you could hear him. He was right there on the other side of that curtain. God tells them to rebuild the temple so that they can be in proximity to each other once again. And they come back and they start that process. And then if you remember, we read in Ezra, they're trying they're doing exactly what God called them to. They rebuilt the altar so they could do the sacrifices. They've rebuilt the foundation. They're starting to rebuild the walls and they get shut down. The officials force them to stop. And we're told that they, are, they do not start back up again until the year two of King Darius. That's 520 BC. It's 15 to 17 years after they were stopped. So they start to obey they, get, they are forcibly stopped, and then they never start back up again for 15 or 17 years. What changed 15 years later was Haggai. Haggai the prophet shows up. So read with me chapter one of the book of Haggai. You, you should recognize some of the names and some of the situations because this is what happened in the second year of King Darius that started the process up again. In the second year of King Darius... On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the field and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, the whole, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord, to the people. 
I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, and on the, 20, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So I hope you recognize those names from last week, the governors, Zerubbabel, the, the high priest Joshua. They're still there. They're still in their offices 15, 17 years later. And God sends a prophet to speak to them. And what he says is, God has a complaint. The people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. We've been on hold for 15 years, but it's still not quite time. And if you don't think the Bible is funny, wow, listen to the irony in the next couple verses. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? While this house remains a ruin, you hear all the yous? Is it your time for you to be living in your house? He doesn't even say my house. He's like, this house is in ruins. They live in paneled houses. In the whole, in the whole, all of the Old Testament, there's only two buildings that are ever paneled, except for this passage. That's Solomon's temple, which is one of the most beautiful buildings in the ancient world, we're told, and the king's palace in Jerusalem. To have a paneled house is the height of luxury in their world. It is very expensive because you've got to go get logs. They've got cedar logs from Lebanon that they bought. If you remember, we read that last week. And what we didn't read right before that in Ezra chapter two was they took up an offering from the community to buy these very expensive cedar logs to make the wood panels for the temple. And then what happened? They got shut down. So now you've got all this cedar lying around. What are you going to do with it? I mean, you can't just let it lie there, right? You can't just wait with it. I guess you could probably sell it maybe and get some of your money back. They used it. They took it home. They put it in their houses. Okay, I totally get that. You know, I imagine we pay off the building. We start to take the money that we've been spending on the mortgage, just like we've been talking about for years. We start to invest it into ministry. We start asking God, what do you want us to do? We work with a ministry called Family Promise, which houses homeless families. There's no shelters in North Atlanta that will allow a family to stay. So if you are a husband and wife, you are split up. You cannot stay together. A husband cannot stay with his kids. A teenage son cannot stay with his mom and his brothers and sisters. You, you are forcibly split up and sent different places if you're homeless in North Atlanta. So this ministry houses people week by week at churches. We support them and work with them, but we can't house people because we don't have showers. That they've got a place to sleep. We got, we got, we, they put cots in Sunday school classrooms and, and folks sleep there. We can do that, but we don't have a place for people to shower. Imagine God says to us, hey, I want you to build showers in the basement. Take some of that money that you've been paying on the mortgage and now spend it. I want you to build showers on the basement so you can start to house people like you've been talking about. We're like, great, we go, we buy. We buy the fixtures, we buy the toilets, we buy the tile, we buy the stalls, we buy all those things. And then the county inspector shows up and says, you can't do that, you can't have showers underground. That doesn't work, you can't, no, stop, stop. You can't do it. And they shut us down. And now we got all this tile and all these toilets, shower stalls, fixtures, and it's nice, right? It's solace, I mean, 
I got a toilet at home that's got a crack in it. I was going to go buy the $50 Lowe's special, but man, there's a $200 low flush solid toilet just sitting right here. I'll just take that one. I mean, it, it's not like we can do anything with it. Like it's totally... I totally get this. It is completely understandable. They had all this paneling lying around. They had all these building materials. I mean, there's rubble everywhere. You don't need rock. But anything else they had to get. We tried. We, we tried to build it. We couldn't. We got stopped. Let's, let's take it home. Let's do our stuff. I mean, it is, it is completely reasonable. What does God think about their completely reasonable Never restarting his house. Never doing what he told them to do 15 years ago. I just want you to listen to these, okay? You planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages but they fall out of the holes in your wallet. You expected much, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. The heavens have withheld their dew and the earth their crops. I, the Lord, I called for a drought on the fields, the mountains, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, everything else that grows, the people, the livestock, and the labor of your hands. What does God think of their perfectly reasonable, eminently practical disobedience? I told you last week, there is no guarantee of success when God calls you to obey. If God calls you to start a ministry, to, to you know, help someone, right? he does not promise you that that ministry will ever get off the ground. He does not promise you that you'll ever raise enough money to start it. He does not promise you that it ever will help anyone. That's not what he told you. He told you to start the ministry. He didn't say, and I will make everything happen the way you want. Obedience means you do what he said, but he does not promise you success, but he promises you blessing. The scriptures say that everywhere. He promises you blessing. You don't get to choose the blessing. Again, God's not a vending machine. Jesus says, anything you give up for me or for the gospel, I will give you back 100 times. But if you put a dollar in the offering box on your way out, you will not find a $100 bill stuck under your door when you get home. It's just not gonna work like that. He decides the blessings. And just like there is a promise of blessing if you are a follower of Christ when you obey, there is a promise of loss when you don't. Do you ever wonder why people that want nothing to do with God seem like they can get away with anything? They can do whatever they want and nothing happens to them. And you do the smallest little thing and God comes down on you like a ton of bricks. Why? Because he loves you and you're his child. And that's the way parents treat their children. And the book of Hebrews will say, that God disciplines his children. There is a promise of blessing when you obey and there is a promise of discipline when you do not because you are his child and that's what good parents do. They train their kids. The writer of Hebrews goes so far as to say, if nothing ever happens to you, if you disobey and do whatever you want and nothing ever happens to you, like God never comes after you for that? Wow, um, you, you need to seriously ask yourself if you're a Christian. Because if God is your father, if you've become a follower of Christ, then God has become your father. Jesus has become your Lord. 
If God is your father, the writer of Hebrews says, then he absolutely will discipline you when you do what is wrong because that's what good parents do. They don't let their kids do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. Because God loves you, God will discipline you when you disobey because he's teaching you not to. Just like when you do right, he will bless you. Now again, you don't get to pick the blessing and you don't get to pick the discipline. That's on him. He decides, just like any parent. This is how parents operate. Your children do things that are wrong, you discipline them. Please understand me. God does not punish you. You don't have to pay for what you did wrong. Jesus did that. It is already paid for. You are not being punished. You are being trained. You are being disciplined. I was sitting in an Arby's a couple weeks ago with my daughter, and there were some teenage girls sitting over here, you know, and they're talking loud, and so you can hear them. And one of them is loudly proclaiming that her mother asked her to clean her room or something like that, right? And she said to mom, well, screw you, mom. You're not the boss of me. And I walked right out, and her friends, you know, cheered her. And of course, I did nothing. They're not my children. I have no authority over them. I did nothing. Ask my children what would happen to them. If they said to Elizabeth, screw you, mom, you're not the boss of me, and walked away from her. Why? I mean, those are just polar opposite responses. Why? Why would I have such different responses to two teenage girls? Because one of them's my daughter, and I love her. And I don't, I don't even know the, I've never seen the other one before and probably never will. Why do the wicked get away with so much stuff? Because they don't belong to the Lord. They've said to God, leave me alone. I don't want anything to do with you. And God has said, okay, deal. If that, I, I will not force you if that's what you want. But if you have said to him, I am your child, you are my Lord. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? There are promises of blessings for obedience in the scripture. And there are promises of discipline when you disobey. And that's what's happening to them. And wow, they are seriously getting disciplined. What happens? Like the prophet comes to them and tells them, hey, look at what's going on in your life. Look at how poorly everything is going. Think, why is that happening? Right? It's because you're not obeying. It's because God told you something 15 years ago. Yes, you got shut down, but you haven't been shut down over and over again. You've just given up and quite frankly, taken all the good stuff for yourself. Look at how they, how they respond. Verse 12, Zerubbabel, Joshua, the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord. Why? The people feared the Lord. The fear of God is a wonderful, wonderful thing. The, the love of God and the fear of God are in no way, shape, and form incompatible. They absolutely go together. We love God and wow, we understand that he is God and we are not. And that he is the parent and we are the child. And he will decide and we know if we do what is right and honor him and obey, we will be rewarded. We may not see it right away. We may not see it till eternity, but we know it will happen because he never breaks his promise. And if we choose to intentionally disobey him, oh, then we should be afraid because we know he will not let that slide because he loves us. 
He does not want to grow up to be the kind of people who do stuff like that. He wants us to grow up to be the kind of people who obey, so he trains them. Now, the story could end right there. Like, we could, it could be over in verse 12. That would be a good story. They started to obey, they got stopped, and then inertia, something took over. Maybe they kind of liked that they got to keep all the good stuff and were worried about, you know, if we start rebuilding the temple, do I have to give all these panels back? Or, uh, we don't know what happened. We're not told. Something happened that they never bothered to come back and try a second time. And God commanded them, and they obeyed. That's a good story. The Bible never ends stories of obedience that way. It always adds, verses 13, 14, and 15. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. I don't even think they've done anything yet. And we're not told till the end of this paragraph that they actually get to work. They've agreed to obey, and God is moving towards them. God is encouraging them. Verse 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the spirit of Joshua, the spirit of the people, and they began to work. You read this in scripture all the time. God calls you to obey. If you will turn towards him and start, he will meet you. They go and work because God encourages them, because God fills their spirits, because God is at work in them. That story is over and over again in scripture. God never says, obey. I'll be over here watching. We'll see if you do it or not. Maybe I'll come talk to you if you get it right. The moment you turn back to him, think about the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son says to his dad, I hate you, I wish you were dead. Give me half of everything you have. Give me what you're, I'm gonna get when you're dead. I just want it now because I'm so sick of you. And he takes it and he leaves and he loses all of it. And one day at the very bottom, he finally realizes, oh my gosh, people who work for my dad have a better life than I do. I'll go back and ask him for a job. I know I can never be his son again. I know I've totally ruined that relationship. I'll just ask him for a job because he's a better boss than the people I'm working for now. And do you remember what Jesus said? While he was a long way off, his father saw him, had compassion on him, ran to meet him, threw his arms around him. His son's got this big, long explanation slash apology. I know, it's my fault. I blew it. I can't be in the family anymore. I squandered it. I understand that. I'm only asking you for a dad, right? He doesn't even get the first sentence out before the dad is yelling back up the road. My son's clothes are in rags. Bring the robes. Bring the sandals for his feet. He has no jewelry. Bring him jewels. He's hungry. Someone get a meal. My son, my son. All he does is realize this is stupid. I should go back this way. And he starts it and his dad comes tearing towards him and just brings him right back in. All is forgiven. He, he's still, he, it, he's right. He shouldn't get to be a son anymore. He completely blew it. Dad doesn't seem to care one whit. That's what Jesus says God is like. Turn back. Start. Make, make the move. Head towards him, just like these guys did. Yes, we will obey. And God comes and encourages them. God puts his spirit. He stirs them up. He gives them what they need. I mean, some of the things God calls us to do, we just need to do them. You know, it's just like, yes, I need to do that. I know it. I, 
Wow, and some of the stuff God calls us to do, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, somebody smacks you, turn your cheek and get smacked again. Some of the stuff God calls us to do is impossible, cannot be done. God stirred up the spirit. When they started to obey, God met them and God gave them what they needed to keep obeying. You read that story over and over again in the scriptures. Here's the thing. You have to start obeying. You can't say, nope, I'm going this way. And God isn't going to come running after you. The father doesn't come running after the son while he's off doing his own thing. When the son turns back, boom, the dad comes to meet him. But you've got to obey. Is there anything in your life where you are saying to yourself right now, it's not time. I know what God wants me to do. It's not time yet. When Elizabeth and I were in Wycliffe, uh, to join, you had to do this month-long training course. And so we went, ours was out in California, and we met a family there. They were uh, probably in their 40s, had like four kids. They were from Canada. So they'd driven down from Canada, and we got to be friends with them. And so, you know, you're sitting around, you're there for a month, you got lots of time to learn each other's stories, and we're asking them their stories. God had called them to be missionaries in their 20s before they ever had kids. And they knew it. In fact, they knew God had called them to Wycliffe Bible translators to translate the Bible for someone. They knew that. But in our mission, you didn't get paid. You had to raise your own support. And the husband, David, said, oh, that's a dumb way to do it. You know, you got to ask people all the time. And it take, you know, take a year to raise your support. You could be out there working. And, and then every time you come back, you got to visit people. So God says to David, David, join the mission. And David says, yes, Lord, but... He was a baker by trade. Says, Lord, I'm going to start a bakery. And if you will bless it, then eventually it will get so profitable that it will support us on the field and I won't have to raise support. Lord, I will go as soon as you bless me enough. And so he started that bakery and he poured his heart and soul into it. And wouldn't you know, it went bankrupt. So he started another bakery. And he poured himself into this one twice as hard. They were starting to have kids now, but of course he's never home, right? Because he's pouring himself into a bakery and this time it went bankrupt. So he started a third bakery and this time he worked every moment he could. He spent every ounce of energy and time. I don't think he even knew his children's names anymore. And that one went bankrupt. And then he said to himself, Maybe I should just obey. And so they joined the mission. You know, I'm, obviously I'm talking to him after that. He's like, yeah, we raised the money in like six months. We're ready to go. So they, they lived in a difficult part of the world. They were in West Africa where we were. They weren't in our country, but they were somewhere else. But I, I would see them at conferences and things in West Africa. Um, and they'd had a riot in their city. And so I was talking to his wife, Henny, one day. So again, this is years later. We're all on the field. Um, and I was kind of joking with her right, about, so, hey, you glad you traded in those bakeries in Canada for rioters in Cameroon? And she looked at me totally seriously and said, oh, my gosh, yes, my children have a father. God's commands aren't onerous. He wasn't calling these people to be missionaries because, like, he needs people, right? Oh, my gosh, my work isn't going to get done if you don't do it. He called these people to take a man who was going to be a workaholic and not know his children and have a job where he was with them every moment of the day. 
his commands were good. He was telling him to do something good that he would have wanted, but he wouldn't listen to. Nah, today's not the day. Yes, Lord, I'll obey. When? When you do this, when this happens, is there anywhere in your life that you are, you know what the Lord wants, but you're saying, not today. Okay, here's another one. I stand at that door, end of every service, reach out to shake your hand. I want you to imagine that what I reach out for is your phone. You're going to unlock your phone and give it to me. And I'm going to look through your browser and your browser history and your cookies I was in IT security for 20 years. Won't take me long to figure out what you're looking at on the internet. I'm gonna look at what you're watching. I'm gonna read your email. I'm gonna read your text messages. I'm gonna go all the way through your phone. Is there anything on your phone that you don't want me to see? Folks, you know, you know the statistics? 40% of Christian men regularly look at pornography. 20% of Christian women regularly look at pornography. If no one has ever told you that God hates that, that he despises it, that is a complete perversion of what he made people for, let me tell you that so now you know. Is there anything on your phone you don't want me to see? How about today's the day you delete it? If you're watching stuff on Netflix, you know the Lord doesn't want you to watch. There is a simple solution. I mean, I don't know about Android, but I know on the Apple, if I just push it and hold it for a second, it's going to pop something up and let me delete it. I think on Android, it'll do exactly the same thing. Get rid of it. If you are texting someone, you should not be texting. Block the number and don't text them again. Is there anything on your phone that you are saying, I know what the Lord wants, but today's not the day. Maybe tomorrow I'll obey. Wow, give careful thought to your ways because the Lord disciplines everyone he loves. He doesn't let that stuff slide. He certainly doesn't let it slide forever. Now he is gracious, he is kind. Look, it's been 15 years, right? And look what he calls them to do. When they obey, what did God say in verse eight? Go up into the mountains, bring down timber and build my house. God does not say all that paneling that you took, I want it back. He just says, go into the hills. The hills in Jerusalem are not full of cedar. Cedar of Lebanon, that's as good as it gets. I don't, I don't keep up with the home stuff, but I'm sure, you know, granite from Italy, right? There's something. If you're looking for opul- opulence and luxury in your house, there's something you can buy and put there. So everyone knows this is the lux of the lux, the top of the top. This is as good as it gets. That's the cedars of Lebanon in this world. That's not what God's asking them to do. He doesn't even ask them to go to Lebanon. Go into the woods. It's oak in the woods around Jerusalem. And oak is a poor, I mean, oak is, you know, what do they call that? The Formica countertops compared to the, the granite from Italy, right? God doesn't say, you got to build me. It's like, but you got to build the temple. That's where God and man come together. God doesn't need a temple. They need a temple, Look what God says to them. I am with you. God doesn't need a temple to be with them. They need a temple to be in God's presence, not to get killed by his holiness. They need it. He's trying to get them to build it. They don't want to. God doesn't. He just says, look, go get some wood. Let's get it done. Build the building. Is there anywhere in your life that you're saying, I know God wants this. 
Not today. It's not time. Please, if there is, give careful thought to your ways. God says that to them twice. Think, think what's going on in your life. Now, please understand me. Bad things happening in your life are not all discipline. I mean, scripture says the world is fallen. The world's messed up. Sometimes things just break. It has nothing to do with you. And because the world is fallen and people are fallen, sometimes people will harm you. And it has nothing to do with you. If your car breaks down, it may be because the world has fallen and cars break down. It may be because a mechanic cheated you and didn't fix what he said he was going to fix. But give careful thought to your ways. It may be that you are being disciplined. It may be that God is getting your attention. That he is saying to you, I can't bless you if you won't obey me. Come on, folks. This is the way the world works, right? If you go into work on Monday and your boss tells you, okay, on Friday, I want you to make this pr- presentation. And you come in on Friday, he's like, where's the presentation? And you say, ah, uh, new show came out on Netflix. I really needed to binge watch. So I did what was best for me instead of you. Your boss is not going to say to you, oh, you are an inspiration of dedication to what you consider to be important. I'm giving you a raise. God can't bless people who are disobeying him. He disciplines them. He trains them. He teaches us. Sometimes that means he does things that we don't like, that get our attention. Give careful thought to your ways. Is there anything in your life where you are doing what these guys did? Ah, now's not the time. I know, I know, I know I should do that. Not today. Yes, Lord, I know you want me to be a missionary, like my friend David said. And I'll obey when. Maybe you should just obey. It went way better for my friend David. Way better. It will go way better for you. I mean, I think I could say that with a fair degree of certainty. That is all throughout this book. If there's any place in your life where you are saying, I I know, I, I know, but, but, No buts, just obey. I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna ask God to speak to you. I'm gonna ask God's spirit to reveal these things, that we will have courage, that you will have courage to face this. Anything going on in your life where you're not obeying, where you know, because look, God is kind. He sends someone to tell them. Things don't just get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. He sends them the prophet to tell them. I am gonna pray that God speak to you. That God sends somebody to you, that the Spirit talked to you, that you read something, whatever it is. Is there anywhere in our lives where we know what obedience looks like? We know what God has said to us, and we're saying, ah, not today. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely obey, but, but, but not now. The time to obey, brothers and sisters, is now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you don't leave us. Thank you that, that yeah, we, we, we walk away. We know what to do. We don't do it. And you do not ignore us. Like, like I ignored those girls over there at the Arby's because they're not my children. I have no authority to speak into their lives. But I would never ignore my own children. I love them. I want them to become people that you are proud of. Jesus, we want to become people that you are proud of. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for me. I pray for everyone who hears this, whether they're here or they're watching a YouTube channel someday. 
Lord, speak to us. Is there anywhere in our lives that we are not doing what you have told us to do? Is there anywhere in our lives where we know what the scriptures say? It's just hard. Lord, I pray for wives who don't want to submit to their husbands because it's hard. I pray for husbands who don't want to love their wives like you love us because it's hard. I pray for children who don't want to obey their parents because it's hard. I pray for parents who struggle to obey you and not exasperate their kids because it's hard. Jesus, is there anywhere in our lives that we know what to do, but we won't do it? Then I pray, I pray you would speak to us. I pray you would send someone to talk to us like you sent Haggai. I pray you would move in people, whatever it is you need to do. Lord, I pray you would do it. And if we will not listen, then I pray you will discipline us. I pray that we will see, the, we will give careful attention to our ways. We will see all the way that things are going wrong in our lives and realize, oh, this is the fruit of disobedience. I call God my father, I call Jesus my Lord, but I don't obey them. And this is the result. Lord, show us, don't, don't let us be ignorant. Don't let us push it off so, so we, we forget. Lord, be gracious to us. Remind us, just like you reminded these guys. You had told them before to obey. You didn't have to tell them again, but you did because you're kind. Tell us again, Lord. Remind us again. What does it look like for us to obey you? And Jesus, boy, we pray this throwing ourselves on your mercy, just like the prodigal son. Lord, we, we turn back and move towards you, trusting that, that you will move towards us quickly, that, that you will stir us up, that you will give us what we need, that you will clothe us and feed us, that you will do all the things that we need so we can obey you because it is hard. You know how hard it is for us to obey. Jesus, I pray for all my brothers and sisters, help us. Help us to be people of obedience. And I pray that in your name, Lord, because you want that, and that is the best thing for us. The best thing for us as your followers is that we love you and obey you. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.